we're in the book of Colossians. We're in the book of Colossians. I want to thank Jeff last week for bringing the word at the end of Colossians chapter 3, first verse, I believe, of Colossians chapter 4. Um, was able to listen to that live. And, uh, and by the way, just FYI, if you are away and you're st- you want to stream and listen live, um, I would say that the YouTube um, experience is much better than the Facebook experience. And so I want to encourage you to do that. YouTube is a much, for some reason, it seems to be a little cleaner. And so I want to encourage you to do that. As I was away last week and had the opportunity to do that, but I appreciate Jeff, his emphasis on our work. We don't go to work and work for whoever our boss is. We go to work and we work for Jesus. And just so happens that we all exist in our own little, you know, income resources, but we work for Jesus. And so what a great reminder last week, Jeff. Thank you again for preaching. We are in week 12. We are in the final chapter of the book of Colossians. In week number 12, in our series, Jesus is Enough. We're going to be in chapter 4 today. If you want to open up your Bibles, you can. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. You can open up an app on your phone. That doesn't bother me at all. We'll also have verses on the screen when we get to our text this morning. As you remember, as we've walked through this letter that Paul has written to the church at Colossae, Paul is now giving instructions to the Christians and to the believers on some things that they are supposed to do and some things that they are not supposed to do. Two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we walked through a long list of do's and don'ts. And and may I say this, lists of do's and don'ts, that is not legalism when it's coming straight from the Bible. Does everyone understand that? The list of do's and don'ts that we open up God's word and say this is exactly what Paul said to this church, that's not legalism. What steps over into legalism is when uh, myself and Tim and Carla get together over dinner one night and we say, hey listen, I think that our church should start doing this and this and this. And so I get up the next Sunday and go, hey, we got together, and this is what you, if you're going to be a part of our church, this is what you have to do, this, this, and this. Now, most churches don't come out and blatantly say that. Most of the time it happens through the culture of the church. It happens through the requirements to serve. It happens through all the different things, and, and, and I'm not here to get on a soapbox this morning. All I'm saying is this. It is not legalism when we take the Bible and say the Bible says to do this, and the Bible says not to do this. Now, What have we learned earlier in the book of Colossians, though? He spent two chapters and part of the third chapter saying, before I tell you what to do, I'm going to instruct you on who you are in Christ. And I'm going to give you a theological framework with which to live your life. And Paul spent the first two chapters and a portion of chapter three getting us to understand that that it was important that every Christian should know and be before they go and do. And may I say it this way this morning. It is imperative as a follower of Jesus that you know and be before you go and do. Let that sink in on the screen for just a second. It is very important that you know who you are, that you have stepped into the theological truths of what Jesus has done for you, and you have a grasp on those things. It is important that you know and be before you begin to go and do. Now, that doesn't mean you can't do some of those things simultaneously. That doesn't mean that I have been a believer for many years and I'm still understanding more and more of who I am and who I'm to be. That doesn't mean that you say, well, I've not figured it out yet. I'm not going to serve in the church. I'm not going to do anything for Jesus. That's not what I'm saying this morning. What I am saying is, as we're going and doing, we better make sure that our foundation has been laid. 
Our foundation has been laid, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. And our, and our motives and our aim and our goal is Jesus. Paul has given instruction in these last two chapters on marriage, on the parent-child relationship. Most recently, as I mentioned, Jeff's teaching last Sunday on a believer's guide to the workplace. By the way, he didn't really hit on his sermon title. He's not in here. He's, he's, doing, he's taking, us, taking our, our safety walk. Undercover Boss, what a great sermon title. I, I would have talked about that for 20 minutes. Um, one of the greatest shows, man. If, you've have, if, you're, if you haven't cried in like a couple of months, as crazy as it sounds, go watch an episode of Undercover Boss. I'm like, man, I'm a manly man. I don't show my emotions. I don't cry. And then I'm watching something that like waste management or something. And I'm like, why am I crying about the boss at Waste Management being nice to his employees? I don't get it. But anyway, that was, Mandy, if you relay that message, it was a great, great title. I love that show. I can't, my emotions can't handle it, though. I'm not going to lie. But Paul continues his instructions on these elements of a Christian life, these elements that should be an active part of the life of a believer. And these elements come as a result of the grace of God being manifest in our lives. How can we be the right kind of husband or the right kind of wife? It's the grace of God living in our lives. How can we be the right type of parent or the right type of child or kid? It's by the grace of God living itself through our lives. How can we be the right type of employer or employee? It's the grace of God living itself out in our lives. And so today I want us to simply look at this sermon title, Elements of Grace. Elements of grace. We're beginning in verse 2 of Colossians and chapter 4. Verse 2 says, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains. Paul's not in the sermon. The mystery of Christ, remember? The mystery of Christ, we've talked about it a lot in the last year and a half. It's that the gospel was not just for the Jews, but the gospel was for everyone, the Jews and the Gentiles. And if you're in here this morning and you are not a full 100% uh, red-blooded Jew this morning, you better be thankful for the mystery of the gospel. Because God did not send his son for just one group of people. God sent his son for the world. Back to the, back to the sermon. To speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace. Seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. What a great text this morning. Just five verses. What an incredible text as we walk through elements of grace. Heavenly Father, speak through your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, today that your words would flow through me and that it would land on open ears and open minds and open hearts. May we leave here today not just with an academic knowledge of your, of your word, but may we live today with a transforming uh, change in our lives, God, as we, as we live this week out, as we go to work tomorrow, as we interact with people, as we make friends, as we, as we interact in our communities. I pray that we are transformed and changed as a result of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's walk through this morning what Paul says 
These elements of grace should look like in the life of a believer. Remember, he's speaking to the church at Colossae. He had never met them personally. He had heard some things about them. He had heard of the, the false doctrine. He was trying to correct some things in the church. Let's see number one this morning, an element of grace, encouragement to pray earnestly. Encouragement to pray earnestly. Back in our text, we're going to continue referring back to our text today. Verse number two, once again, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Pray, uh, David uh, Guzik says it this way. Praying earnestly could be explained as great effort steadily applied. Praying earnestly. When I think of praying earnestly, we need to think of the words consistency, persistence over time. We need to think of words like toil and effort on behalf of the one whom we are praying for. Pray earnestly. Continue earnestly in prayer. I hear commands like this in Scripture. I hear other commands like pray without ceasing. Continue earnestly in prayer. And I want to ask us a question this morning. I'm asking myself the same question, but I want to ask it corporately. How many of you in here would agree by raise of hand this morning that you believe prayer can change things? How many of you would believe that this morning with your hands raised? All right, keep them up if you also would believe prayer moves the heart of God. Prayer can change things. Put your hands down. So I ask myself a question, and I ask you the question. If we believe that prayer changes things, if we believe that prayer can move the heart of God, then why do we do so little of it? Let me ask you that question again. If we believe that prayer changes things, that prayer can move the heart of God, do you remember back, can we find 10 men that are righteous in the city? Move the heart of God. We're commanded to do it. If we believe that prayer changes things and we believe that prayer moves the heart of God, then why do we do so little of it? Why are we less than passionate about it? And I'm asking myself this question this morning. I will read you what it says right here in my notes right now. I'll be very transparent. You want to know what my notes say right now? Admit your struggle. That's what my notes say. Can I be very blunt with you this morning? I can read my Bible consistently. I have, a, I have a process by which I read my Bible consistently every single day. I'm not bragging today. I'm just explaining to you that some things come easier to me than others. Since January the 1st of this year, I have not missed one day reading my Bible. I can read my Bible every day. And I'll soak in a truth. Sometimes, I mean, we're Old Testament. I'll find like a really funny verse. Send it to a couple friends, like, man, do you know the Bible really said this? Or like, this translation uses that word, and that's hilarious. But I'm, I'm good. I'm all over that. But can I be honest? You know what I struggle to do? I 
God, Vivian was out of work for several months. She asked me to pray. And God, I did. But you know what I didn't do? I didn't pray every day. I didn't do it consistently. God, we were facing this as a family. I got to be very honest. I struggle. And I want to dig into this a little bit this morning, if it's okay with you. Because I believe while we're all different in the way we're constructed, in the way our personalities are, I believe we could all say in here that it's a struggle to pray consistently. If we're not careful when we're trying to pray, we get the old butterfly syndrome, right? We get the old binge the series. We get the old I hit my snooze twice and lost 20 minutes this morning. I got to get to where I need to be on time. I'll take care of it at lunch, except that your coworker invited you last minute to sit with them at lunch and hang out. So it doesn't happen then. And then you get home, and you're like, man, I'm really bummed out. We're going to go out to eat and meet some friends for dinner. By the time I get home, guess what, man? I got two more episodes of that show. I got a good one for you. See me afterwards. Can't say it from behind the pulpit. Don't want to get in trouble. Um, we're very good at that, right? And if I'm not careful, the busyness, it's incredible. People don't even go grocery shopping no more. You, you go online and do your own. We do everything like immediately, and we still don't have time for anything. Your grandma used to walk through that grocery store for three hours. And I'm your grandma because I do that. I walk through every three hours. I check every piece of fruit. If I'm buying a piece of fruit, I'm inspecting every one of them. I want the, the peaches. They got to be just right. I can't be getting no mushy peaches at my house. Okay? The, guac, the, the avocados. Like the avocados is like right when they first to start to firm up. You're like, wait, I'm grocery shopping on Sunday night. We're going to have this Thursday. Okay, I need to get a little bit firmer one because it's got four days. We live in a society where we got everything we can do at the drop of a hat right in front of us and don't take any of our time hardly. And we still struggle to pray. And I say we, and I mean me. We struggle to pray. When Paul says later on in this, in this next, no, in that same verse, after he says continue earnestly in prayer, he says be vigilant in it. When he says to be vigilant in prayer, he could very well be saying and instructing us to stay awake and to stay alert. Anybody, you're, you're in the Josh boat and you're like, man, before I went to bed, I'm going to pray. And you have no clue when you fell asleep, but you know you fell asleep some early parts of that prayer. Ain't none of y'all done that. Y'all lying in church. All of you. Just as the disciples, before Jesus was headed to the cross, as he was in the garden, just as they were not vigilant in prayer and physically fell asleep, I do believe that's something that we struggle with in our prayer life is that we, when I sit down and it's a little bit quiet, catch me after the nap. So what do we need to do? I'm, once again, we're just speaking very bluntly here. We need to get more creative 
in our prayer life. No one, no one put a gun to your head and said you had to turn off everything else going on and you had to get in the dark and you had to get down to your knees or sit in your favorite chair or your nicest couch and, and then you were going to pray. Or even better, to get in your bed. Come on. We treat prayer. No wonder we fall asleep when we pray. We pray in our beds. We pray with nothing else going on. Now listen, I'm just trying to be honest with you. When it says pray without ceasing, I don't believe Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, expected us to walk around standing over in a corner with no noise going on all day long and just praying all day long. I believe what he's saying here, and he's being vigilant in prayer and asking us to pray earnestly, is that prayer ought to be a part of our walk and our daily lives. So get creative. Some of you work out. Notice I said we earlier. I said some of you uh, work out on this time. Some of you work out. How about when you're on that whatever machine that I have no clue how to do? I'm, I'm one of those gym shaming people. Um, I, I have been shamed before. No. Um, what, if, what if that was a prayer time? When you're actively... What if it was, hey, we walked the dog or we walked whatever kind of animals you got uh, around the neighborhood every, every evening and... What if that became a time of prayer? I got one for you. What, if you're still, still one of those crazy people that actually have to go to work, like you have to drive there, you have to physically be at work. It's kind of weird, I know. But what if you said, my commute, I'm praying through my commute. As I'm driving, I'm going to be in intense prayer with the Lord. Now that means some of y'all got to, you can't be cussing at people that pull out in front of you and stuff because you're in the middle of prayer. Get creative. What do you have to do? If you're a morning person and you wake up early in the mornings, pray in the mornings. If you're a night person and you're a night owl and you stay up till 12, 30, 1 o'clock every, every uh, morning, night, whatever it is, pray in the evenings. Get creative. Do it as a part of something that you're physically active to where you can say, God, I communed with you in my spirit. And I actually understand what happened because I didn't fall asleep and I wasn't completely distracted. Notice these elements of prayer, and I'm going to move on from this. These elements of prayer that he mentions in this, this text, in these couple verses that we've read. He mentions passion. We should pray earnestly and we should pray, pray vigilantly. That means prayer should not be passive. And prayer, prayer should be, what does the Bible instruct us to do to come Boldly before the throne. We should pray passionately. I believe these elements should embody our prayer lives. Passion. I believe the second element that that this text teaches us is that there should be an element of thanksgiving. Vigilant with thanksgiving. Man, don't be, do not be one of those Christians who spend all these times asking God, asking God for this, asking God for this, asking God for this, asking God for this, like he's a vending machine. Asking God for this, and he provides, and he provides, and he provides, and he provides, and you never thank him. You're one of those nine who were healed and went off and did their business and never came back. There should be thanksgiving. Hey, listen, I believe we ought to pray in faith. I'm crazy enough to think we ought to pray and thank God for what he's going to do. God, I don't know what you're going to do, but I want to thank you for what you're going to do. These elements of prayer, passion, thanksgiving, 
The third element of prayer that I believe we see here in this text is a gospel focus. A gospel focus. Remember Paul, where is he when he's penning this letter to the church of Colossae? If you've been here for the whole series, he's in Rome, he's in jail. At, possibly under house arrest, but in jail, unable to leave. He's in jail. You would think, as you read through this text, that Paul would say, and pray for me that I get out of jail. Pray for me that I can be released from this prison. Pray for me that my bonds and my chains would fall off and I could walk away free. Is that what Paul tells the church and and the Christians at Colossae to do? No, he doesn't. He tells them, hey, pray for the expansion of the word. Pray that the gospel could be given more clearly to more people. This is a man who is in chains. This is a man who was imprisoned. And this man wanted the church at Colossae not to pray for his release, but to pray for more people to be redeemed. As you think of, as the disciples, Lord, teach us to pray, there's three elements that we could always attempt in our prayer life. Passion. It needs to matter. It needs to mean something. Thanksgiving and a gospel focus. A gospel focus. An element of grace this morning was encouragement to pray earnestly. And maybe that's what you needed to hear today. Paul didn't stop there. And so I'm not for the sake of time and the sake of the sermon series. I want to continue. Secondly, so we saw encouragement to pray earnestly. Secondly, in our text, I want us to see this encouragement to walk wisely. Encouragement to walk wisely. Look in the text at verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. The Christian life was not meant to be lived in a bubble. May I, in context with this text, even make this statement. I do not believe the Christian life was meant to strictly be lived in a private prayer closet. Even though we just spent the last 15 minutes on the importance of prayer. The Christian life was not to be meant to be lived in a bubble. It was not meant to be lived in a private spiritual encounter. The Christian life includes interacting with those who are, what the Bible word, I, I, it's kind of an odd word, but it's outside. Paul extends the instruction now to the way a follower of Jesus is to interact with those who are outside. This is literally speaking to the way that we interact with those of us who are not in our faith. Those who maybe do not attend our churches. Those who would not maybe claim to worship the same God that we worship. Paul is instructing us and instructing this church to be wise when interacting in the real world. As a pastor, I grew up, my parents, I don't think they watch this, so it's all good. I grew up in a bubble. I grew up in a Christian bubble. I went off to 
Christian Bubble Bible College. I began serving in church ministry, Christian school and church ministry immediately after in the bubble. If I'm not careful, when Randall Reagan shows up a year and a half ago at our church, I can't even relate to you, bro. Because I, I speak Christianese first and then English. You can't talk to me about whatever you do, <laughs> whatever it is you do. <laughs> Still trying to figure that out. No, I'm just kidding. But an unsaved Randall Reagan a year and a half ago that showed up in our church, if I'm not careful, I don't even know how to interact with the, with the real world. Because uh, I'm a pastor. And here, here, here's, the, here's, the, here's the unfortunate part about pastoring. Pastors say, hey, we're going to have a big Sunday. We're going to have our fifth anniversary, the first Sunday of October. Man, we want you to invite all your family and friends. We want you to invite folks who don't know Jesus to be at church the first Sunday. Jeremy, you know where I'm going. And it's like, how many people do I know that don't know Jesus? And I'm the one up here trying to get you to do something about it. So Paul says, number one, you should be, this is what we should, can take away from this. We should be heavily interactive with people who are unlike us, who are not in our church, who are not in our little clique, who are not in our little bubble, and who do not, do not believe the same way we believe. That's a reality of this world, number one. But you know what he says? Let's look at the text. He says that we should be wise. He says that we should be wise. Jesus was seen with sinners. Jesus was seen with the woman at the well. Jesus was seen in, at parties. Jesus was seen in places where they misinterpreted and misunderstood who he was and what he was doing. But Jesus never went into those situations lacking wisdom. Lacking wisdom. And I want us to be very wise. I want us to be very wise when you work at your place of employment with unbelievers, walk in wisdom. When you coach your kids' sports teams and you're around uh, unbelievers, walk in wisdom. When you hang out in your neighborhood and people are unbelievers in your neighborhood, walk in wisdom. When you're invited to that work party with unbelievers, walk in wisdom. I believe this is a missing element. You know how, you know how we can take a step in the right direction? Like for me, it was getting out of the bubble and actually hanging out with people that weren't exactly like me and didn't believe that was a step for me. But you know what the next step is? It's not just getting out of the bubble. It's to then be an influence and be wise as you're interacting outside of that bubble. We must understand this, that we are a walking advertisement of new life in Christ. People, whether they want to admit it or not, are evaluating Jesus based upon you and based upon me. Walk wisely. That doesn't mean we can't have fun. That doesn't mean we can't be ourselves. That doesn't mean we can't cut loose. That doesn't mean we can't. But it does mean I'm going to be wise. Listen, I grew up saying if you worked in a workplace, they invited you to a party, you should say no and don't go. I don't believe that's biblical. I'm telling you to go. Go and make friends and be wise. But be wise. 
Because if you are being salt and light like we're supposed to be as we live in this world, they know you're a Christian. They know you're a believer, or at least they know something is different about you. And let's be wise. Not this morning because you claim Keystone Church is your church and don't go out there and mess up the name of our church. Whatever, man. That's, that's, no, you have taken on the name of Christ. And if I may kind of throw a little wrench into the way we teach the Ten Commandments, let's not take that name in vain. And live our lives however we want, unwisely. The book of Jude speaks to the unsaved culture surrounding us. It spends verses 16 through 19 explaining all of those who are outside. And I won't read it. But if you want to look in the, book, in the book of Jude, verses 16 through 19, you can see all, the, all of what he's speaking of. Those who are unsaved, those who are not followers of Jesus. But then the book of Jude instructs us as believers in the following verse in verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, that's how we're to interact, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. He says, listen, there's a lot going on around you and you're interacting in this bubble. But make sure your faith is firm. Make sure, sure you're walking wisely. Elements of grace. God's grace is being shown in your life. We should be craving a life of earnest prayer. God's grace is working in your life. We should be walking wisely as we interact in the real world. And thirdly, dear Josh, encouragement to speak graciously. I've got boldly down pat. That's not, the, that's, not the, that's not what we're talking about today. Lord, why can't I be boldly? No, I got that. Some of us are really good at that. Verse 6 tells us in our text, let your speech always be with grace. Seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Paul concludes this portion of our text this morning with what I believe is not only wonderful instruction on interaction with unbelievers, but it's also great instruction as we interact with anyone and everyone we come in contact with. I believe Paul is just like he did with prayer. He gives three elements of prayer that we spoke about. I believe in this verse, Paul gives us three elements of speech. Grace elements of speech from this text. First of all, I want us to see this. Our speech should be gracious. Let your speech always be with grace. If you cannot say it with the grace of God attached to it, don't say it. We mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. If you cannot say it and say, I did that to the glory of God. If you can't do it and say, I did that to the glory of God, don't do it. Okay, if you can't say it with the grace of God attached to it, there ain't no kids in here, then shut your mouth. And once again, I told you, this third one is Dear Josh. If you can't say it with the grace of God attached to it, 
Let's reconsider it. Husband who's angry and spouts off at his wife, you can't do that with the grace of God attached to it. Employee, employer, how about that one? Employer with a bunch of crazy employees, if you can't speak to them and attach the grace of God to it, you should take a step back. Mom, frustrated with kids, anger comes out with what you're saying and how you're saying it. If you cannot attach the grace of God to it, because our speech should always be with grace. Now, I'm naturally brash. I'm naturally, I just say it very bluntly, and I pray that it came out well. So I need to learn. So it should be gracious. Dear Josh, your speech should be gracious. Number two, dear Josh, your, your speech should be palatable. It says in verse six, not only should it be with grace, but it should be seasoned with salt. Man. I love me some Himalayan pink salt. Anybody else with me on Himalayan pink? All right, cool. It's the superior salt. Um, Last night, Kelsey made us dinner. Man, she was awesome. A little chicken Alfredo. And I'm always, now I'm a cook. I like cooking. Trying to pass that down uh, to my daughter. I like cooking. But here's my philosophy on cooking. You can always add salt to it later but you can't ever take salt away from it i've messed up a couple things by that by that so last night some chicken alfredo man it was really good but it was kind of there was one little like zing it was missing so what did i do i went in there i got my grinder got my himalayan pink salt put me a little himalayan pink salt in there and guess what you know what it did it made it more palatable i enjoyed that bite a lot more if you can't say whatever you're saying, in such a way that it is easily received by the person receiving it, then maybe you should not say it. Now, I'm speaking in generalities here. Some of you, in the positions that you are in, sometimes you got to have difficult conversations. I'm not saying I have difficult conversations. What I am saying is, even in difficult conversations, say it the right way. Say it not just with grace, but say it to where it can be most readily received. Received. And then lastly on this, as I believe Paul is instructing us in this element of our speech, gracious, palatable, but then knowledgeable, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. When you speak, you ought to know what you're speaking about. You say, Josh, this is super practical today. I told you the last part of Colossians is very practical. If we just started at number three, much of what is posted on social media would never be posted because much of it is just not true. Can I help y'all? Get mad if you want to, that's okay. If the fact that you're sharing is simply a meme, 
there's a good chance it's not true. You might want to use this really awesome tool. It's called Google. And ask, did, how many of you have seen the fake deaths? So-and-so died. People are like, oh, so-and-so died? I didn't know so-and-so died. And you look it up, so-and-so didn't die. But someone shared a meme. Rest in peace, Gilbert Gottfried or something, you know, like whatever. And as you look it up, no, no, that person's not dead. I'm not going to cross lines here this morning. But Christians should be very aware of whether or not what we're sharing is the truth. We ought to take steps to make sure that what we are saying is legitimate. All right, that's good. I'm going to stop there. As I said, speech is something that I struggle with. I will say this, that third one, being knowledgeable, I try my best to not speak on something until I'm confident that I'm understanding of what I'm speaking about. Elements of grace. How's your speech? Is it always with grace, seasoned with salt? That you may know how you ought to answer each one? Is it, is it gracious? Is it palatable? Is it knowledgeable? In our text today, in these five verses, Paul has said, here are some instructions and some elements that the grace of God ought to be working in your lives. He dealt with three areas. He dealt with our private life, prayer. He dealt with our witness, our public life, how we interact with people, walking in wisdom. And then he dealt with our speech and how we speak and communicate one with another. And may I say this this morning, our private life, our witness, and our speech ought to be informed heavily by the grace of God. It ought to be led by the Spirit of God. And while we may not be perfect, and maybe if you're like me and you have issues with, with bluntness and harshness in your speech, you might have an issue Tuesday that comes up where you, but maybe we'd be more led by the Spirit. May we look back two years from now and say, man, two years ago this truth from the book of Colossians arrested my attention. And I believe everybody around me at work and my family would say, I don't speak to them the way I used to. I think we can look back a couple of months, a few months from now maybe and say, listen, I had, I had really struggled in my prayer life because I was setting myself up for failure. I was praying when I was tired. I was praying in my bed. I was praying with the lights off. I was, and may our prayer lives become more passionate and more real. May my prayer life be more, I'm going to be going eating Mexican food because I am. Um, after this and as I'm heading there, Saying, Lord, whoever I interact with here, whether it be an employee, whether it be other half of Durham that eats there every Sunday after church, whatever it may be, can I just let me be, let me be your servant, let me be your tool, let my words be 
hey, I'm coming home from work. I've said this before. I'm mad. So-and-so at work. That guy right there, Aaron Conley. I'm just kidding. Uh, Aaron, <coughs> Aaron's done, done it again. I'm heading home from work, and God, i got to calm myself down because you know what? I don't want to come home, and I don't want my speech to be anything but gracious. Elements of grace, the grace of God working in our lives, cultivating a desire for a private life of prayer, giving us wisdom as we live in the real world as a witness, and giving us the gracious speech that should mark the life of everyone. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.